0: Let me get a cough drop now, because I know once I start, it's just going to hit at that time. Other than that, I'm not. But Luke chapter 2, starting in the very first verse, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria and all went to be taxed every one into his own city and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife (coughs) excuse me, being great with child And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do love you. I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing, Lord, upon the message today. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified, you'd be honored by what is said. Lord, that you would use it in our hearts and in our lives to draw us closer to you. Use it to be a help in our life, to direct us, Lord, to meet needs that are here. I pray this time would not be in vain. So please control what I say and how I say it. Lord, help me to stay true to your word and not to go off on opinion of my own. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted... Lord, I pray that the gospel message would be clear on their hearts, and that conviction and that drawing would take place, that even this morning they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Again, please bless and work, Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Certainly is true that really the most important message that needs to be heard today is really is that of the Christmas message. The fact is that God set this plan in motion, I mean, thousands of years before this day takes place. Look over in Genesis chapter 3, you have the very first promise of Christmas. Genesis chapter 3. An amazing verse right here. Adam and Eve have just sinned against God. The fall, what we refer to as, has taken place. Everything has now changed. They have sinned against God. They are going to be banished from the Garden of Eden. All this has taken place. And when God is confronting them, he gives us this verse, uh, number, verse number 15. He says, "...and I will put enmity between thee and the woman." And between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That verse might sound complicated. It really is not. It's It's the very first promise of the coming of the Messiah. It's the very first promise of a virgin birth that would take place. It's the promise of Christmas. It's the promise that God says he recognizes that what is just taking place in the Garden of Eden has changed everything. When they sinned against God, that set things in motion. Because of who God is, He is holy, He is just. But understand this, it did not take God by surprise. He very well knew when He created man that this day would happen. And He was ready for it. He knew what would take place. So much so that that what we lost in sin, the Bible deals with this, we get in the book of of Romans, how much more we receive because of grace, because of what even took place. So, when man sins in the garden, we have the very first promise of Christmas. Things went into motion the day man fell for Christmas to occur, for this day that we just read about in Luke chapter 2 to happen. Look over at this verse, an amazing verse. Love, love this verse. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. This is a great verse. Galatians 4, verse number 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that, might, that we might receive the adoption of sons. This verse tells us, when the fullness of time was come, When everything was prepared, when everything was ready, it was time for his birth. When this day happened some 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, all of it was orchestrated by God. This was in God's timetable. The exact religious, the exact cultural, the exact political culture that was needed is in place. When that day arrived, Jesus Christ was born. It's when the fullness of the... fullness means completion when there's things that God put in motion going all the way back to the Garden of Eden that now they were ready. Now it's ready. I dealt with a few of these things during the devotional, during the adult Christmas party um, just this past Friday. But God began to put things in place. We see that when we come to the, the, the... Actually, the last book even that we have in the Old Testament, it's true even in a chronological sense, although many of those minor prophets are not in a chronological order, but Malachi is written about 400 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. 400 years. We refer to those as the the silent years because there's no prophet speaking. We don't have any... There's no book written in that 400 years. But make no mistake about it. God was at work. He was orchestrating the events that would take place that day that we just read about in Luke chapter 2. So when we leave off... In, in the book of Malachi, really, you can even go back about 150 years prior, 100 years prior there, when the book of Daniel was written. You, you have the rise, you had the Babylonian Empire, but then you have the, uh, the rise of the Persian Empire. It was incredibly strong. They, they were a world-dominating force. And so when we leave off in Malachi, the Persians are the dominant world empire. But that's going to change. God is in control. You have the rise of a leader in Greece, Alexander the Great. Young man, really, he's in his early 30s. And all of a sudden, this man who happens to be in his early 30s has a, a, a strategy for military conquest. Uh, his thinking on it is incredible. It was different for his day. Um, he, was, he, was, he was able to take smaller armies... And do amazing things I won't get into. I enjoy studying. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite college classes to teach is New Testament history. And a lot of that focuses on the 400 silent years of what was taking place. Because God was at work. Although there's no prophet, God is putting things together in place. So Alexander the Great conquers the known world at that time, defeating the Persians, and they become the world empire. They become the conquerors. That brought in something we refer to. If you read it, it might be written in your Bible. You might not understand that word. But when you read commentaries or whatnot, you're you're going to read a word called Hellenism. What that means is the Greek culture. What Alexander the Great, through his conquest, brought to the world was Hellenism. The Greek culture. See, is that important? It's very important for what's getting ready to take place. With that, became a language that began to dominate and be taught in the region. The Greek language. 12% of our English language, think of that, today even, comes from that language. 12% of it. It became the dominant language of the day. It just so happens to be one of the most expressive languages the world has ever known. That's not a coincidence. Today, the Greek is much different than the Greek of Christ's day. It's not the same at all. Languages change over time. Modern Greek... Modern Greek began to form what we see today began to form after the fall of the Byzantine Empire, which God was in control of. That was when the, the Roman Empire split around the 5th century, east and west. You had the rise of Constantinople. That, when, that, when the Rome sort of split, that was the Byzantine Empire. That thing stayed in place for about a thousand years. It's that the conclusion of the Byzantine Empire, which during a thousand years, they were the dominant power in Europe. They were the military power, the economic power They controlled wasn't until the end of that that you saw what we see the, the, modern, the, the modern language taking place. So Anyhow, you had, you had the rise of, the, of Hellenism, the Greek culture, which brought on the Greek language. That's not a coincidence. That's the language God's going to have in place when the New Testament is written. However, 150 years before Christ is there, that empire is defeated. You had the rise of Rome. The rise of Rome takes place they become the next dominant world power. The rise of the Caesars. This too is setting the stage for that day that will take place in Luke chapter 2. The Lord is working behind the scenes. There's a language in place that God wanted in place. Don't forget that. That's not coincidence. The message Of God becoming a man, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer of the world, why He did what He did, He's setting things up. As I mentioned during the adult Christmas party, Rome would set up travel routes, trade routes. They would build a road system. The road system, their engineers were incredible. That's not a coincidence. The wisdom all of a sudden that the Roman engineers had. The roads were so good. To this day, some of them are still used. That's not a coincidence. Traveling was made much easier. So now you have in place the ability to carry the message. To travel with it. You can see how God is in control. That when the fullness of time was come, God said, it's ready now. It's ready. Listen, don't dismiss Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. It's when the fullness of time came. When God, in His sovereignty, recognized this is when it's going to take place. It's remarkable all that he did to make the first Christmas day come about. Now, in our day today, Christmas has been changed. It it's really is, especially in our culture, it's really not so much anymore about the birth of Jesus Christ, is it? Matter of fact, many people don't even like to say, Merry Christmas, do they? I'm not positive. Maybe somebody can let me know later. I think it was... President Obama, who would not say Merry Christmas, just Happy Holidays. I might be wrong on that. I might be way off base on that. But I know it's true. of it some key political leader in our country. that He would just say Happy Holidays so as not to offend. Because they say it represented a time of family. A time of giving. Now, all these other things that are all good things. But listen, that's not what this time of year is about. It is, it is about the celebration, the remembrance, the day that God became man. When his birth took place. But that has been changed. The devil has been at work trying to get man, not focused on that. I remember being a boy. Of course, I mentioned how I grew up in the Catholic Church. But still hearing those words come across the television. Every Christmas when I would watch Charlie Brown's Christmas. When they would quote Luke chapter two and being glued to that. The devil will do whatever he can to get the focus off of that message. We're seeing that take place. <clears throat> Even the very night that of course that Jesus Christ was born, it was in obscurity. Most did not see it. I have an entire message just on that fact. Most did not realize how important this night was in in all of creation, in all the days of history of what has just taken place. Think of Joseph and Mary as they traveled, having to meet the government requirement of this census and taxation that was taking place. They lived in the northern province of Galilee. They had to travel down to Judea which would be a difficult traveling for them. Uh, Bethlehem is about six miles south of Jerusalem, so that's where they're heading. So they have to head out. Keep in mind, Mary is at least 37 weeks pregnant right now when they're traveling. They're not just getting in a nice car where she can put the seat back and travel down the road. That's not how this traveling is going to work. She is full-term. This trip would be hard on her. <clears throat> they would finally get into town. It makes you wonder if they got into town, if Mary's not already telling Joseph something's happening. Something's happening. They head to the inn. But of course, as we read, which is what I want to focus on today, there is no place for them in the inn. But Mary is ready to have the baby. So Joseph, and it does make sense it's full. There's a lot going on right now. I mean, you have the census taking place. Um, but Joseph, nonetheless, sees a place to rest. Uh, some say this would have more of a little cave area with animals. Others say, no, an actual little stable area that was set up. The scriptures really aren't that, that, that clear on it. But we know that he was laid in a manger for his first bed. A manger was a feeding trough for animals. Usually when we see the scene today, when we set up little displays at our house, and it's just this picturesque, beautiful little scene. That's not what it was like that night. Do you understand that? It wasn't like that at all. This would have been smelly. It's, it's not the most... You can just imagine Joseph trying to clean this out. So he could set Christ, who's wrapped in swaddling clothes, grave clothes, in this thing. And his wife has just had the baby. There's no midwife present. makes you wonder if Mary and Joseph were not wondering, why like this? Why? Why are we standing here next to this nasty little stable area, this little cave area? Christ, the Son of God, who they know By the way, they don't have any questions who this is. They know. They had to wonder, why like this? Why here? Why is the Savior of the world, why is he born, there's no room for him in the end, why is he born like this? Let's learn from that. I think there's some great lessons on why there was no room in the inn. First off, one thing that helps us out a lot on a personal level is this. Is we have to understand that God is in the difficult circumstances that you face. He is. What we learn from this is God can use the very difficult circumstance that make no sense to you at the time in order to accomplish His will for the future. There are times when you face things that you just don't understand. I have no doubt that Mary and Joseph were perplexed at what took place. I mean, think about it. If I'm Joseph, I'm thinking like this. Let's see. Gabriel was able to come to me in this amazing announcement to let me know what was taking place. Not only to me, but also to Mary. Could he not have made hotel reservations? I mean, God's in control of this. Could he not have, you know, called up the Hilton there in Bethlehem and say, Listen, we, we have a couple coming in. Have room for them. I mean, they had to wonder, I mean, if God went to this great extent, why is there no room? I mean, to the point to where Joseph could have thought, well, why didn't, I mean, you can see Mary is great with child. I believe labor's probably already starting. God could have had somebody, some ladies come up and say, we see what's going on, come with us. He didn't do that. He didn't. Nope. What caught Joseph's vibe, which was of the Lord, was that little area they thought they could rest in. Because he knew it was happening. He has to get Mary where she can lay down. It's close. And you can just hear her tell him, she's 16 or 17 years old. I guarantee you, she's scared. She's And she knows it's happening. Joseph, now, please find a place. Joseph Lord, is this it? but he's going to learn something. God is in the difficult circumstances. He is. Again, again, I believe they both were wondering. They both had fear. Why at times is there such difficulty when you're simply trying to accomplish the will of God? Listen, there are time and time again when you are right in the middle of the will of God, doing what you're supposed to do, yet you are faced with incredible difficulty. Yet God is in the difficult circumstances. Remember the story I was in, New Guinea? I, I can go into, we started deputations, and Daniel decided to cut his thumb off. I really appreciate him. Is he down here right now? I don't know where he's even at. He's probably over in junior church, Yeah or when we're in New Guinea, and we've been there, whatever, several, several months, and this is a great example of how God was in the difficult circumstances, but I couldn't see it at the time. There for several months, we're still in the middle of the really, really difficult time. I am heading up to Cavian. I have two men with me. The man I am training for the work in Soho, Brother James Zabel, he's one of two men I hope to bring here one day. I'm hoping in the next few years to get a couple of them in here so you can meet these people. And, and Asa was in the back seat. And so we're traveling. Again, I've been there several months. We're still going through a, just a ton of difficulty. This is before the Doritos story happened, all right? And we're traveling down. You've got to drive about four hours, and you get to a sealed road, which is so nice. Out of the mud, needing four-wheel drive, just bouncing everywhere. I get to the sealed road. I get to go, you know, 60 miles an hour on the sealed road. It's just a two-lane road, but it's sealed. There's not many cars you can fly down it. Just watch out for all the pigs and dogs. I got good, well, I won't get into that now. Another time I will, never mind, I won't even do it then. Um, We're traveling down, and all of a sudden my hood, which they call a bonnet for whatever reason. I guess that's Australian for hood, bonnet. And so it starts shaking a whole lot. But I'm going about 60, I'm like, oh, look at that. Like a dummy, I don't stop to check it out. I'm just watching it bounce like this. And all of a sudden, at 60 miles an hour, it flies off. Boom, bam! it smacks the windshield. I can see nothing instantly. Bam! And so I slam it on the brakes, trying to look down to the side to make sure I'm still on road, because it's just a curvy, two-lane road all the way down. We get stopped. No problem. We, we forced the hood, it was all bent up and everything, we, we forced the hood back down, we could see what happened, the latch had just, had just wore out, it was no longer going to hold it, so I did, because I am such a great mechanic, I went ahead and just, we just got rope, I went like underneath, through the engine, around the hood, and wrapped that thing up. That's what I did. Hood is not going to move. And uh, that's why, where's Daniel Sobeck at? Are you here? You're going to need me to help you teach these guys basketball. I'm a white guy who's about 5'9". I can help you. So yeah, I wrap it up, and I wrap it up, and I wrap it up. We hit the road. It's going great, but we forgot to pray. We didn't pray. Going down, the hood is secure. No problem. I'm not kidding you. It's not five minutes later. I'm doing 60 miles an hour. Hand on the, steer, the steering wheel is on the other side of the vehicle there. James is on this side of me in the passenger seat. Austin's right back here. And I felt something odd in the steering wheel. And the vehicle changed the levels. Boom. And then I see sparks like this. And the vehicle, all of a sudden, is incredibly hard to control. And I look over as I see the sparks, and I'm not exaggerating at all. I see my entire wheel going above coconut trees. Above them. I'm like... Oh. And, and we're grinding on the road, and finally, the vehicle stops. None of us are saying anything, and James says, we should pray. And I said, yes, we should. And so, we pray. And I've got to be honest, I am, it's been an incredibly, keep the context in mind. It's been an incredibly difficult six months so far. You know, I'm not thinking of leaving, but really, pardon me, I'm just done with this place. I'm done with the fight. I want to throw up. I get out. I'm like, how many days am I going to be here? How many days am I going to be There is no tow truck to call. None of that exists. And, I, and, I, and we look, and I can see the road carved up from where it fell off, the sealed road, where the entire wheel flew off, where I marred the sealed road up all the way to where we stopped. And... By this time, we're a minute into this, my tire has already been stolen by a villager who watched my wheel fall off and went and grabbed it. It's already been stolen. I'm not kidding you. It's already been stolen. Another guy who was on the other side of the road, we're, we're stopped at a little, I don't know what to call it. it's just a dirt path in with a bush house right there. That's where I'm stopped. I'm, I'm at that entrance, if you will, to this bush house. And a guy on the other side of the road, his eyes are all big. He just witnessed what happened. He walks over. Me and James and Osta were just standing, looking down at where my wheel used to be. And he says, and again, I'm one hundred days I'm going to be here. He says, do you know where you just stopped? And I said, I have no idea. I, I don't know where I'm at. This is in the talk prison language. I, and I, let him, I have no idea where I'm at. No, not, not a clue. And he said, That right there is a bush tire shop. The Lord put us not five feet from it, at it, a bush tire shop. There's about, between Namatanai and Kavian, there's probably one, two, three of those along the road of a five-hour drive. I'm at, I don't got to walk to it, I'm there. And then we went and got the guy who stole the tire, we got our tire back. And the Bush Tire Shop people came, and they took, they called a start, I guess, the actual lug nut, or not the nut, but the lug itself, off my other tires, replace on this one, and I was on the road in about one hour, heading back up there. Now get this, that was a difficult circumstance at the time that God solved pretty quickly. But what was amazing is this, God was in the difficult circumstances. That mark on the road became known it became popular because the missionary who's now on the island, who just got here, his wheel flies off and his vehicle stops at the tire shop. That had an effect on them. I was able to use that for the years to come. And you know this part of the story. What's amazing to me, I remember it bringing tears to my eyes when we're we're on our very last supply run to Cavian. We're a month from leaving. One month from leaving. We're on our way back from that supply run. On the way back, we get to witness it. Twelve years it had been there. They're covering up that mark on the road. We were leaving. Listen, there's times you go through things that are difficult circumstances, but listen, God is in the circumstances. So what was God doing to allow this to take place this night with with Mary and Joseph to be born like this in this stable setting, to have the baby sitting in a feeding trough of animals. Why was there no room in the inn? Well, there's a couple of lessons here. One, they're going to find out God is in the difficult circumstances, but I believe the Lord was teaching us certain things that were true about the coming of Christ. One, There's a picture here how the world has no room for Christ. They do not. Let me give you examples of what I'm talking about here. The intercourse was full. Again, it makes sense. You had the people in from the Roman government were in. A lot of times these things actually some of these things were actually even free of cost. You'd have different generic rooms set up and a family here and a family down over here and, and, and everything like that. But it would make sense with what was taking place that it was full. Um, um, But there's a picture here, though, how the world in truth has no room for the Messiah. They have no room for Jesus Christ. I want to quote from Spurgeon about this. I like how he put it to help make make this point I want to get at. He said this. (coughs) He said, "But if you believe, believe firmly, and you let your belief actuate your life, talking about a Christian life." And if your belief is so precious that you feel compelled to spread it, then you will surely find that there is no room for Christ even in the inn of public sentiment, where everything else is received, be it atheism, a skeptic, agnostic. And no one will treat you... Um, uh, uh, if you're a skeptic, and agnostic, and atheist, no one will treat you with contempt, but be a Christian... And many will despise you. There was no room for him in the end. It's, there is no room for, for Christ in this world. L- let's, let's compare this to something that we can relate to. Look, let's, let's compare this to the business world. How there is no room for Christ at all. There is not. We live, in, and don't worry, I, I enjoy, the, I, 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 I think we have the, the best idea of government on the planet, economically, politically. I, I, I do. I think it's incredible. We see it, I think we see God's hand in it. We live in a capitalistic society. But I want to let you know something. Business really has no room for Christ. Business is about the bottom dollar, period. It's about profit. That's what it's about. You make decisions to that end. I assure you they have no room for Christ. See, because Christ, when it comes to business, it's not about profit. It's not at all. Whew. Not at all. See, you're to trust God for that profit. You're to trust Him. You're to make decisions that are simply based on what's right. Not what's best for the bottom dollar. But what's right. And then you trust God with it. But I might not make as much. Who cares? Does it really matter in the end? What matters is when you stand before Almighty God. So in the business world, when you start to stand for what's right... You're going to find out there's not much room for Christ at all. At all. Brother Tim, I don't remember what led to you leaving, but it might have been along those lines when you just said, I've got to do my own. A lot of times there's just no room for Christ. Look at our colleges and our universities. <laughs> there is no room for Christ. There is not. You would think they would want all they could have about Christ because He is the source of knowledge, He is the source of wisdom. But that certainly is not the case. But the only courses you see on him in secular universities are to raise objections to him. To challenge. To discredit. They're not about wanting men to seek him. Like the Bible says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Fools in believing there is no God. Fools believing that there is no final judgment as they mock it. There is no room for him in the world. And then, most importantly, I think the lesson that God was demonstrating in why he allowed it to take place like this. When we do see God is in the difficult circumstances in life, and that helps us. We do have a picture how, in this world, there is no room for Christ. But I think, most importantly, we see the humiliation that would be necessary For salvation to occur. Here is God Almighty. The creator of the universe. The one who spoke it. I mean, think about it. Think of all the bazillion stars. I was looking at photos. I I, I found this guy in Palmer, actually. I'm I'm probably going to try and meet him one day. Um, I don't know if he actually has a degree in astronomy or what, but boy, the photos he gets at night are incredible of the stars of galaxies. And he had, he had put one up here recently, and he was marking out different galaxies. I'm like, and then when you think about how many stars are in each galaxy, incredible. Just amazing. And to think... God just spoke it. And those were in existence. And now, here is the creator of the universe, coming to his creation, born in this humiliating manner. Being forced to travel, at the time she is full term, away from family, away from the midwife that she's been visiting with since her conception. To be born in this place that would have smelled, they don't have the right clothes for them, and they, they, you know, just the whole setting. But it is picturing the humiliation that would be necessary for the Son of God when He would die naked on a cross, being crucified, beaten. During His life, He'd have no certain place to lay His head once His ministry began. And then the ultimate humiliation before his Father in heaven, literally becoming sin for us. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Listen, this manger was demonstrating the humiliation that would be necessary in order to save you. That what God would have to do, how he would have to, as Philippians chapter 2 puts it, he would have to humble himself. This is the Creator. Do Do you begin to understand one of the reasons why God hates your pride? Like, how dare we think greater of ourselves than we really are? If God, the Creator, the true Great One, was willing to go through such humiliation... Get us in our pride, don't you sit in my spot in church. What did you say to me? You think I gained weight? <laughs> Those who laugh loudest have been gaining weight, by the way. I know that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll be in trouble for that later. I don't know I said it. But really, in our pride, we get so easily offended. God says it over and over how much he hates that pride. He was demonstrating how an enormous measure of humbleness, of humiliation, how He didn't come down here in some grand method. Obscurity. Knowing He would face the ultimate humiliation on the cross. And He did that for you. He literally... When he was on the cross, God the Father placed upon him our sin. Your sin. Think about that for a minute. You know how wicked you are. He placed upon him your sin. The Father judged his Son in your place. See, people think all they have to do is say, No, God understands me. He knows who I am. You know, me and God, we, we've got our own thing worked out. He knows I am really am a pretty good guy. None of that's true. It isn't. You don't have your own thing worked out, worked out between you and God. That's not true. No, but you don't understand. I do. I was in this really bad car accident, and God delivered me. I'm okay. No, you're not okay. God very well, providentially, might have spared your life in that accident. But that is not what's going to save you from hell. He spared your life so that you could hear the gospel. He placed upon his son the sin of us all. He judged him in your place. That was necessary. It's not a matter of you just saying, God, I mean, you think what God set in place prior to the cross, with the sacrificial system, everything that was necessary, this is not the case of God just being able to say, all you have to tell me is I'm sorry, and it's good to go. That's not how this works. That would not satisfy justice. It would not. Something had to satisfy holiness and justice. Why? Because that's who God is. Don't forget that. He is holy, the Bible says. He is just, the Bible says. So in order for him to be able to save you because he does love you, so he can show the grace, he just can't, God up in heaven just can't say, well, all you have to do is just tell me you're sorry and that's good. No. It would never satisfy justice. It would never satisfy holiness. Those have to be met. He did that when he was born 2,000 years ago. He became a man. Because now as a man, as a man, he's going to walk on this earth. And he will, as we read in Galatians chapter 4, he will fulfill the law. He never sinned. He lived the perfect life. That is God's requirement. It is perfection. But you and I will never get there, ever. But God became a man so he could live the perfect life for you. Because when he went to that cross, this was all orchestrated by God. God placed upon him our sin. He said, I will judge you in their place. For you have made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God said, I will allow this transaction to take place. It will satisfy holiness through the perfect life. It will satisfy justice when I judge him for sin. And then what it does is the transaction is that He takes your sin and He gives you His righteousness. You know the devil's biggest lie that sends religious people to hell is they go about as the Apostle Paul put it to the Apostle Paul put it to establish their own righteousness. It's the biggest trick he has. It works. The Bible says all of your righteousness is as filthy rags before God. What you need is the perfect righteousness of Christ, which is available to you through what Christ did on the cross, just by coming to Him in repentance and faith, in, this is, this is key, Christ alone, nothing else. You coming to Christ alone by faith, seeing what He did for you, and He will save you. Just like, they, just like the announcement was made to Mary and Joseph, uh, uh, at, before even conceived to, at his birth, This is the Savior of the world. He didn't come simply to be a great moral teacher. He didn't come to be a revolutionary. He came to save the world. That is made possible by what happened on the cross. With heads bowed and eyes closed.